When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, my homies? Welcome to Women of Impact. I have a question for you. How pro are you when it comes to bending over backwards and giving contortionist level compromise? Now, be honest, ladies. Are you practically teaching the master level class on people pleasing and playing small at this point? If people pleasing is your poison and you appreciate badass women that share their road to the new heights and big wins, then this episode, guys, is just what you need today. Now, my girl, Rade Devlukia Shetty, is joining me today for deep conversations, real freaking experiences, and actual practical tips to help you on your journey for strength, confidence, and actually how to prioritize yourself. Now, in case you don't know Rade, she is an influencer, YouTuber, businesswoman, podcaster, and a breath of fresh air. So stay tuned as we dive into breaking the habits that keep you playing small. So guys, leave a rate or a review and let me know actually if you like this episode or not because I'm listening, I'm watching and it really does also help. I know everyone says it, but it really does help get out to the world and more women that we can impact together, the more we can stop these freaking people-pleasing behaviors. Now, Let's get on to the episode with my girl, Raddy Devlukia. What habits have you had to break for you to be able to now show up with such freaking confidence? There's no point where I get an opportunity even now and I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to do this. I still get all those barriers, but I've learned to see those barriers as something that is going against me then for me. And before I used to think the barriers were something that were there for me to, to, to like protect me and keep me in a space of safeness. And so I think it's it's the conversion in my mind of these are barriers I'm putting up for myself, not for protection most of the time, but to that are actually going to stop me from creating a better version or to, for creating a better self. But I would say I, I still get those that mentality. My people-pleasing mentality is still very, very strong. I got to a point in my life where I realized I was saying no to a lot of things that I thought would be fun and would be exciting and would be something that could help me grow or it would benefit my life in some way. But I would stop myself because of the fear and the anxiety. And so I was stopping myself from so many things and so many opportunities, closing myself off in this box because I was allowing my anxiety to control me more than my joy and excitement. And I decided that I wanted to just start saying yes to things. Like even if it scares me, even if it makes me feel really uncomfortable and really out of my comfort zone, I just want to say yes because I want to know I can do things. I want to know I can complete things. And I want to know that I, even if I can't do it, at least I know I can't, rather than always living in this possibility of I could, or I would, or I should, but like never actually knowing. And I think that's literally what I did. I ended up just saying yes to whether it was speaking, whether it was coming on podcasts, even with people that I didn't know, that was really scary for me. And just every time I I ended up overcoming that hurdle. It was like this confidence boost for myself to say yes to the next thing and the next thing. 
And so I think it's that feeling of once you say yes to one thing, it almost you reward yourself in such a beautiful way of confidence. Like the reward is confidence. The reward is feeling like, wow, you actually did something. Like you actually completed it. And then that is almost like the thing that propelled me to keep saying yes to things. After I came on your podcast, I was like, that was amazing. But what else do I have left to say now? Like, what else do I even have to talk about? I've already spoken about, I felt like I poured so much into that first podcast. And in my mind, I was like, well, I pretty much said it all. Like, what else is there to even say? And so every time I would be thinking about doing something, I'd be like, what if I run out of things to talk about? Like, what if there's nothing else left for me to do or for me to say? Or what if I don't accomplish it in the way that I thought I would? So it was definitely the fear of the unknown and and also not knowing my capabilities and not knowing I could do it, not having trust or faith in that. And then I think it was the the concept of like the image of what people will think, what people will say. You say one thing wrong and and it can be taken in comp- the completely wrong way than what you meant it and the fear of other people's judgment and how they would perceive it. I honestly think those were the two. And then actually, no, the third one is being lazy. <laughs> the third one is me just being like, you know, I'm really comfortable. Why should I put myself out there? I think I was used to being taken out of uncomfortable situations by my mom, by my sister, by my family. But I grew up in a way that my loving family just wanted to save me naturally. Like if something was happening, if I was struggling in an area, I never really had to struggle because they were, I always had a savior. And so I actually do think it came from a little bit of laziness because I was so used to being saved in moments of struggle or being told, it's okay, you don't have to do it. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, don't do it. I've been thinking about this for a while recently, especially to do with like Instagram, where my friend recently said to me, she was like, oh, you really don't care like what you look like when you post, do you? Like you've really like gotten over there. And I was like, at first I was like, that's really rude. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, what are you trying to say? Yeah, I was like, that's actually really rude. And I know she meant it in such a like, like, oh my gosh, like that's so amazing that you feel that way. And actually I've practiced this process of when I think I want to delete something based on the way that I look or the way that I'm perceived, I keep it up there on purpose. Like the moment I even feel that, I keep it there because I realize you have to also like, I had to get over myself. Like, why do I even care? And that's what I keep asking myself. I'm like, if someone thinks that I'm not smart, why do I care about their opinion? What does that matter? Like, why does it actually matter in my life? If someone thinks I'm not as beautiful as the person sitting next to me, or I don't have the body of like the person sitting next to me or the person that they see on screen, what, how much does that really impact my life? Only to the extent that I let it. And so I've gotten used to being a lot more carefree because if I want to be, if I care so much about those things, that's what I'm going to constantly see and worry about, right? Like if that's where my mind is at, that I'm putting something up, I'm going to, if I'm thinking, did these people think that I look nice in this? Do they think that I, and everything is about the perception rather than the actual part of me, then I'm just living in a very shallow life in my own mind versus me thinking of the intention behind why I'm doing it. And that makes everything worthwhile. God, that's so strong. But there are so many people, and I'm just going to put myself included, yeah. growing up, especially as a teenager, I just wanted to fit in. Oh, I wanted to look as beautiful as yeah. the person next to me. I wanted to be as skinny as the girl next same. to me. I didn't want to be stand out. So how did you, so if you're saying the same, how did you go from then that to then being the person that was like, so what, this is me? I think I'm still, do- like, and honestly, I still struggle with that every single day. But it's the thought process of, again, like I was doing with the boundaries of just saying yes. With this, it's 
just asking myself at that point, do I want to make people feel comfortable in their own skin? Like the reason why I'm doing it is because I don't feel comfortable in my own skin, right? If I say, I don't want to put this up because like sometimes I'll put up a video of me working out and I'll get random messages like, oh, are you pregnant? And I'm like, bro, like, why would you even ask that? But now I've realized I'm like, okay, cool. Even if it is the little, like the little bit of chub that I have around my belly, which I love, but even if it was that, I'm like, if, why is that comment going to stop me from posting something? Like, I want to show that in boxing. I love doing, I love that skill of mine. And I think it's so beautiful. But that person telling me that I look pregnant is going to make me delete something that I appreciate and love so much about myself, that skill that I really appreciate that I've worked on. And so it, it honestly is, it's something that I think about every single day still when I'm posting things, when I'm doing things. But I think what's helped me help me like overcome that is how do I want other people to feel watching it? Do I want them to feel like they have to be a perfect version of themselves or a perfect version of someone else? Or do I want them to feel like, oh, I can really feel like I can be myself. And that's how I feel like I suffocated myself in the the want to to show up online in a certain way that I looked and you know, that I seem, but some days I do look dull and some days I don't feel my best self. But does that mean I don't post and I don't talk about things that I I'm, I am happy about just because visually I'm not looking as appealing as someone would like? I'm just like, life is too short for that. I just, I want to be in a space where I show up online and I show up to other people and experience the things that I'm supposed to without worrying about or thinking about the external part of me. And if that's all you actually care about me for, then that also shows that our relationship is not or like the the community is just not there yeah so is that then you being so grounded in your why because I'm trying to really think yeah, right if someone's yeah. watching now like I don't want them to dismiss how confident and you know like lively and fun you are right now like it's a lot of work that you go through mm-hmm. so if someone's at home listening how do they start to think like that or behave mm-hmm. like that and would you say it is because you're so grounded in your why I would say it's because I've tried to change dialogue in my mind. So when it came to building my own confidence in that way, it was one seeing the messages that I got from other people saying, thank you for just showing up even when you have spots and cold sores and all those things that we all get but usually hide from. That for me was like, yeah, it's allowing people to just be themselves. And that gave me the confidence. And then it was every single time I would say something negative to myself in my head, which by the way, still happens on a daily basis when I look in the mirror, because that's what I've been so trained to do. Every time I would do that, at least I would follow up with something that was like grateful for my body beyond the external. So what I would be, what I would do is, let's say I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh my God, you look so gross right now. Let's just say that's what went through my mind. Like, why, why is your hair like that? I would then follow up and be like, I'm so grateful for like my lungs for breathing or my heart for beating or like my feet for carrying me today or like even being able to do the things that I'm doing in the day specifically to my body parts but more of a deeper value rather than just physically what I'm looking at and that grew appreciation for my body in another way and so strength became something that I was looking at and power became something I was looking at and endurance and being able to not be tired all day like the things that I needed to actually live and appreciate my life versus how I was looking at myself in that moment. So changing the dialogue to that was has been really helpful and still to this day is. Can you tell me how you identified the dialogue? Because I don't know about you, girl, but for like yeah, 25 years. Yeah, 25 years. I didn't even realize I was doing it. I thought it was so normal. Yeah. How did you do it? It was probably, I think, to be honest, it was a guess. I can't even remember who, yeah. but they were just like, just take inventory. 
Just yeah. take inventory for the next week of when you walk past the mirror, what you say, and go. I was like, no, it's horrible. Shredding myself to bits, and like, I didn't realize. No, I honestly think that, and I don't say this lightly, we bully ourselves on a daily basis. Like, if what you say to yourself in the mirror is what you are actually saying in real life to your sister or your mom or someone that you love and care about, do you feel like they'd be able to leave the room and carry on with their day? Mm. And I'm like, no. I don't think I would. I don't think they would be able to. And if someone said that to me, I wouldn't be able to. And also your subconscious, you end up letting things run constantly in your mind without even noticing. Like you were saying earlier, like everything becomes a norm once you do it enough. Even if it isn't normal, that becomes your norm. It's like having an abusive boyfriend. It becomes very normal to you until you step outside and you realize, wait, if this was someone else, it's always about someone else. If this was someone else and it was happening to them, I would never think it was okay. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Um, you're right. Inventory is really important, like taking note every single day. And even better than that, writing it down when it comes to your mind, like seeing those words in your, in front of your eyes and saying, I cannot believe I just said that to myself. I just can't believe it. 
And I think um, that is the f- definitely the first step that should continue throughout our lives because it's also so easy to go up and down with your feelings. Like there are times where still, I'd probably say I went through that like a couple of weeks ago where I was just being so down about myself because I was like, oh, the workouts that I was trying to do and what I was trying to achieve, even in my like strength training and things, I was like, God, I'm just not seeing any results and I don't know why it is. And and all these things where you're just like, well, I might as well just give up because it's just not working. And you end up kind of getting yourself so down with all your negative self-talk. But the point is, the more you say it to yourself, the further down you get. And so it's like when you're feeling sad and you end up listening to sad songs, you're going to get more sad. So instead, if you're feeling down about yourself, lift yourself back up using language that does that. We don't realize the power of words, whether you're saying it to yourself or to other people. And I think, um, you know, you have to do the opposite to how you're feeling, even though it feels so crap in the moment. But telling yourself until you believe it is just it's it it works like I've done it and it works. I love that. So especially the music thing. When yeah. I was a kid, I used to like almost lean into the feeling that I was having and then to your point I realized that I couldn't get myself out of it the more I would because and in fact actually I'd love to talk to you about this so ugly crying right so like in that moment sometimes I actually do need to just ugly cry I do need to allow myself to release Mm -hmm. before I then can retract and bring myself back and I've heard you talk about the pleasure of actually crying yeah. and releasing. But for you, how do you then get yourself out of it? Because to your point, if you can keep spiraling down, but sometimes it's needed. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes it is needed. And I think we've spoken about this before where it's about sit in your sorrow for a certain amount of time. Like let yourself feel it. Don't ignore it. Let yourself feel it. Let yourself release that emotion in whatever way you need. But I normally cap myself at like, now a couple of hours I'm like look you feel this way and even if it is something to do with you know my family being unwell or or whatever it is that even if it is to that degree I still say I'm not going to benefit from sitting in this they're not going to benefit from sitting in this so yes feel what you're feeling but at the same time let me do the thing so I can still be sad and go on a walk And I will cry on my walk. But I know that going outside, feeling nature around me, getting movement in my body is still going to help me. Even if I'm crying at the same time as being out, put on my sunglasses and I will go on a walk because that movement is creating better energy in my body. And the nature is is fueling me in a way that I know for me, that's a really important part of fresh air and just getting outside. And it just completely rejuvenates my mind in that way. And so for me, it's not about, right, I'm going to get up and I'm going to be really happy. It's like, no. Let's do the activities that are going to help support me to get there while still feeling this way. Because duality exists all the time. And I always think about this. I'm like, I can be really sad that my grandma's unwell. But at the same time, I can be really happy that my friend has, like, I don't know, my friend's getting married. And I can be really excited for them, but at the same time, be really sad about this. And so I think we're so used to living in a, I'm so happy or I'm so sad. But actually, life doesn't work that way. I can be so sad and so happy at the same time about different things and still continue in my day. And I think about that when we go out in the world, like, you know, you can be really upset and sad, but you can compartmentalize it to continue your life and do what you need to do. Ah, I love that. And as you were saying, the duality, it was almost go back to where we even started, where you're saying like the fear and the excitement. Yeah. So you can be really freaking scared to do something, but actually the excitement that you've just gotten over it. And once you experience the duality and you actually accept the duality, Mm. then I think it allows you to just then 
um, when you feel the fear, go, oh, hang on a minute. It isn't just fear. It can also be the excitement. Exactly. Exactly. I love that you said that. Yeah, you can feel both things at once and, and be okay with that. So in those moments as well, as you were saying, you go for a walk. I love that. The other thing I was actually thinking about is food, right? How many of us... Um, go to in those moments of anxiety or fear, just um, bury our feelings in food. I, so, me. To, to talk to me about <laughs> that, because again, the impact that then sugar has on you. So let's say, as we're talking about building our confidence and really being able to show up to be strong, mm -hmm. when you have these moments that maybe you fall to your knees, how do you act when you fall to your knees? Because that's the thing, mm -hmm. homie, whenever I'm talking about confidence, it's about, well, hang on a minute. Yes, there's the upside, which we'll get to, but it's the downside. It's how do you deal with things when you fall? So when you fall, I love the walking thing, but also the food thing. How do you actually overcome that and not just gorge yourself on sugar? Yeah, my uh, go-to for pretty much every single emotion is food and like the food that like comfort food. So I've I've started and by comfort food I literally mean like pizza and going out for like ice cream and and that's me whether I'm like so excited I've got friends coming over let's order like 10,000 things and just everyone can eat together and be so happy together and then mm -hmm. and then if I'm really sad I'm like I really need to go get an ice cream you know or if I'm any emotion was linked to food in that way and now what I've I've tried to change what I think of as comfort food. So it's not that I still won't go and have a pizza or whatever whenever I'm feeling, but not linked to my emotions. And so comfort food to me now is what's actually comforting my nervous system. Like not comfort food of what's comforting the feelings I'm feeling right now, but what is comforting and going to actually make me to my core feel better. And if you think about it, it's not going to be foods with empty calories. It's not going to be food that doesn't supplement my brain and my hormone levels and my emotions. Like everything is linked to our gut and our hormone levels and our brain. And so am I going to eat food that's going to dull me further? Or am I going to have, you know, food that's bursting with nutrients that can also help elevate my mood? And so I'm really starting to do that. And with my friends, what I would normally do is order all that sweet sugar stuff and, you know, order donuts and ice creams. And instead now, especially when my close friends come over, I'll just make a big salad with like all the best ingredients. And the thing is, everyone leaves feeling so much better after that interaction. We have better conversation. We're, we're eating food that nourishes our body so much. And every single time they, I do that, they're like, I always want you to do that. Like we always want to come and eat food that feels good for us. And I've, I've realized that so much. And so now whenever I am feeling a certain way, I will, I have like my go-to meals that I know nourish me. And the thing is, once you end up doing it a few times, you notice how you feel. So don't act in the moment of how you're feeling. Think about how you're going to feel after. Have you ever felt good? And look, you do feel great after sometimes indulging in like something that you really love. But if you do that consistently, you really don't. Like every single time, and especially if you're doing it out of emotion. It's so different going to have like your, the, a meal that you really enjoy when it's at a level of excitement and joy versus going to a meal that is is not so great for you when you're already feeling down and out. And, and you then go to sleep, you wake up groggy the next morning. There's just so many... Um, do so much domino effect to just having one meal and how it can impact you. It's so true. But yeah. how do you, <clears throat> how do you how did you break the habit? So thinking um, through even everything you've just said, it's the feeling of the now versus feeling in the future, right? How yeah. have you? 
how do you break that moment of this isn't for the now, but it's for the future? Because in those moments of sadness, um, you know, upset, insecurity, the negative voice in your head, those feel so damn real in the moment. No, no matter what you tell yourself, Lisa, you're going to feel bad if you have that ice cream. You're going to feel bad if you, you know, like you're going to beat yourself up for not getting on stage out of fear. Like whatever that thing is. You can say all the words in your head, but sometimes in that moment, your feelings are still so true to you. Totally. So how have you built habits and what have you done to try and break the listening to the now for the future you that is going to thank you? I mean, there are still times now that now and then where I will give into it, but it's the feeling after that I remember every time I end up getting to that, right? Like every time I get to that moment, I have memory of the feeling of turning to let's say ice cream filled with sugar. I have the memory of how I feel afterwards and it doesn't make me feel good. And by the way, I'm not, I just want to pre- like say this, that it's not saying that we shouldn't eat foods that we love and enjoy. Sure. It's it's eating foods that are actually damaging our body. Like there's a difference because I always, I always see people saying, you know, but you know, you should be able to just eat food that you enjoy and you should be able to indulge. Yes, but those indulge, those things that you are indulging in are also harming your body. And so do we want to indulge and sense gratify or do we want to create nourishment and fuel our body in a way that's going to like t- lead it to success? Mm. One, thing I di- one thing I did, which was phenomenal, was my go, let's say my go-to was sugar. I spent a whole week or I would spend a whole week or two weeks where I'm not touching sugar at all. And it trained my body to feel how good it was. Like we were talking about before where... I had to get through that period of I can't live without this. I need sugar after every single meal. I just need like my hit every single. And it became so normal that I didn't realize in the first three days of when I stopped it, I was literally having what I imagined to be hangover effects. I could not function in the afternoon without having some sort of like, even if it was a small piece of chocolate or like something to get me through the day. And it scared me of how reliable I was on something. And I don't want to be controlled by anything in that way. Just like we want healthy relationships with people, we should have healthy relationships with everything around us that we are relating with on a daily basis. And food is that too. And so how do I create a balance between not being controlled by anything or anyone? And if food is controlling me, then I need to, that's what I had to do because I realized I went through a phase for a lot of my life where food was fully in control of me. And I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't have any of those, like I didn't, I wasn't like addicted to anything in that way. But then I realized, and I used to use food as as a thing of, well, food is, I have to eat. So there's, it's okay for me to love food that much, but there's a difference because every emotion was linked to it and therefore it was controlling me and I wasn't in control of it. And so going through periods where you are restraining yourself and creating healthy boundaries, just like you would a person, healthy boundaries with food is really important. And yeah, it's difficult the first two, three days. So is a breakup. It's really difficult after a breakup and you go through all the emotions and it's the same thing when you have that relationship with food. It's going to be hard. But every single day that you end up knowing you got to the end of the day, you didn't give in to that person or that thing. You didn't text them back. You didn't go to the fridge and get that like chocolate that you wanted. Jay keeps his chocolate in the fridge. Um, You just feel like it motivates you to keep going on day after day after day and holding yourself accountable to it. So actually speaking of then about boundaries with food, talk to me about how you've um, built confidence to set boundaries with people. I think I'm, I'm still trying to figure out healthy boundaries with people. I have started doing... You know, there are so many times people make me feel bad for wanting to go to sleep early or, you know, the routine that I have making me feel like I'm such a like, 
um, strict human and that I that means I don't have fun. And I've kind of let go of that. And I've just realized that that's more on them than it is on me. So when I want to leave somewhere and and go home early, I've stopped the guilt of like, oh, but it's my birthday. Just stay for like till 12, stay till one. I'm like, I don't want to stay till 12 and one. I want to go to bed by 10 o'clock. And it doesn't show, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. And it doesn't mean that I don't care about you, but we just have different values. And I think I've had to differentiate between love for someone and the values that I have and how you can still love someone, but still maintain the values and things which are important to you. Um, And they will learn that as you put up those boundaries. Because a lot of the time, people's expectations come from how you end up giving to them. So if you love bomb people at the beginning, which I think I've been a love bomb, where I'd be like, even with friends, I'd be like, I'll do this for you. I'll do this for you. Let me, let me, you know, uh, cook for you. Let me, I don't know, everything. Like, I just want to be there and be that person that was valuable in their life, the complete person that was valuable in their life. And so I realized I was setting that tone. So then when I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, I'd set myself up for failure because they were already expecting that because I'd given that. Whereas if from the beginning, you're able to create healthy boundary relationships, I think um, that's what I've started to do now where I'm like, I'm not going to message someone every single day and set this tone of like, I'm just available all the time. Let me think of times where I am able to communicate and have better conversations rather than trying to overcompensate when I know I don't have the capacity to do it. Mm. So um, it's been trying to set things from the beginning of a friendship and then also being okay with knowing that my values are not a depiction of my love for them and showing them other ways that I can care for them rather than compromising on what I want to do. Dude, that's so strong. That was going to be my next question. Do you Mm. think that you were love bombing because you got some validation out of it? Definitely. I found all my worth in it. I was like, great. So to this person comes to me for whenever they're in need, when uh, like anything, boyfriend problems, like whenever anything would go wrong in their family, I'd be the person they'd call and I would love being that person. And then I realized I loved being that person because that was literally the only place I was finding value in my life. And so I definitely had that. And that's why it was really interesting, actually, when I got married to Jay, because he wasn't that type of human. And I was used to being around that type of human. And he was someone who wasn't needing me to be an agony aunt to him. He didn't need me to solve his problems. He didn't need me to console him, but not to that degree where I had to like solve problems for him. He just was someone who wanted me to love him and support him and just be, or wanted to love me, support me and be there for me. And I was like, this is interesting. Like, what do I do then in this relationship? <laughs> like, That's what I was going to ask yeah, you like, because actually so... it could have been the opposite, right? Where yeah. you then go, hang on a minute. Like, I'm not valued yes. in this relationship of how you saw your value, yeah. right? And so now that could have been the breaking point for you guys. So how did you actually work through, oh, you were getting validation. Maybe it wasn't healthy. And this is what a healthy relationship looks um, like. It took a while. I really think that it it because then what I started doing was oh I'll cook all of our meals like let's say that's what I did at the beginning where I was like okay he's such a self-sufficient human what am I doing in this relationship like what what do I do and obviously there's like providing love and care for someone but also he's a self-sufficient human in care as well so I'm like this is so interesting like what do I even do so I was like okay cool I'll do what I know how to do I'm gonna be the one who like cooks in the relationship Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then I realized that when you're doing it for those reasons, you kind of are doing it for a... For validation and for reciprocation, or mm-hmm. you want the person to say, "This was so delicious. I really love this." Like every single day, there's this like deep expectation of that validation from that, and it was almost souring our relationship for me to even uh, me doing that out of love and care. I would have never felt that way, but me doing that to find value in our relationship, and then what started happening was I started getting a bit busier. I wasn't cooking breakfast, lunch and dinner. By the way, he never expected me to either. But that was what I wanted to do. It was like my place as a woman, I'm going to do that. And when that started changing, because, you know, life got busy, I wasn't able to do things at the time I needed to. And so he figured out other ways like he'd order lunch and he'd do that. And I started feeling so terrible. And I was like, so I'm like almost like, oh my gosh, I'm failing as a wife. Like I'm not doing the things I was supposed to be doing. So now what's my value? Um, but the way I got out of it was he's, I mean, he's a very validating person. And I think that makes a difference. Like he's always, he thanks me for like the tiniest things to like the big things. Like for him, everything is so appreciated, like deeply appreciated that I started realizing he would tell me, he was like, I never expected you to cook. I don't need you to cook for me. You can if you want to, but that was never an expectation of mine. And it made me realize that all of those things I was feeling was internally me versus something that was ever coming from him. And so I, I mean, I think you only really start finding value in a relationship when you find out what you are valuable for. And so I, when I started taking that journey of figuring out the parts of my personality or what I actually had to offer into the relationship, whether it was personality, whether it was support, like what type of friend am I? Like, I didn't know that. What type of friend am I? Am I someone who sits and listens? Am I someone who can help you solve things? Am I someone who can bring a lot more fun into a time when you're feeling sad? And so when I started finding and identifying those little things about myself, I was like, oh, okay. Like now I see what value I can bring to a relationship or a friendship. And that helped me find my place and feel a bit more sturdy um, in that relationship. That's yeah. so beautiful. But how did you then let go of the shoulds? Um, I still feel a little bit of guilt linked to it, but I realize it's, it's so much to do with culture as well. That's literally what I was going to ask you because you even said, like being the woman in the relationship, same with me as being the green yeah. one. When I was, you know, obviously serving, if you will, Tom yes. for eight years, I was cooking, I was cleaning, exactly. I was doing everything for him. And then I was just like, I don't want to do it anymore. No. But I had so much guilt. So much. And when his mum would be like, oh, you know, I feel like he's he's just, he just seems like he's getting weak or he's skinny or like he's, he doesn't seem like, or, or whenever he got would get unwell, she'd be like, oh, it's because he's eating this. Or I'd be like, oh my God. And then I had to realize, I was like, that's not on me. He's a grown ass adult. Like, that's what I had to keep telling myself because no one's cooking for me. <laughs> no one's cooking for me. No one's doing that. And by the way, I don't want him to cook for me. Um, that would be a really horrible experience. But um, <laughs> For different reasons. Yeah, for different reasons. He, that's just not his thing. He will clean, but he's just not a cook. But yeah, I realized that we are all actually grown humans and we can all do things for ourselves. And so I had to differentiate the cultural mm. aspect and expectations and why it had been infiltrated into my mind that you are not a wife or a woman unless you do this, this and this. I had to take that separately to what do I actually want to do? Is it stressing me out? 
to the limits and not allowing me to do what I want to do because I'm focusing on trying to look after another human. And I don't think that should come until you have a child. Like if you decide to have a child, you're taking that responsibility of a vulnerable like human that comes into the world. But with a grown adult that you're partnering with, it's not a taking care relationship. It's a reciprocal relationship, but it's not a, hey, let me mother you. If I wanted to be a mother, I would I would become a mother. And so... I had to keep, I had to keep like telling myself I'm like I'm a grown ass adult he's a grown ass adult we we can reciprocate but we don't need to be babying one another yeah. and so every time I feel that way I do remind myself of that I have like a conversation like, like listen you're fine what was interesting actually recently I did something for Tom and I can't remember what it was like I cooked the, oh I think I took him out some meat <laughs> it was yeah, like this yeah, thing yeah. where I literally took him something out of the freezer and he was like babe you don't need to do it you like he's yeah. like I've got it and I was just like no I'm actually and in that moment I was like oh I'm doing this for me and so mm. I just told him because he's like would you stop doing it you're telling me you're busy and here you are trying to take care of me over here and I was like no, I'm actually doing it for me. And I said, so please actually stop telling me to not do yeah, it for you. Yeah, that makes me upset too. Yeah, because I was like, I'm bringing validation to myself, right? Because that's also important. Yeah. Like we, there are moments that you, you do the external validation thing where you're looking for somebody else to make you mm -hmm. feel better. But I think it's important for you to make yourself feel better. Yeah, and so agree. how do you build that validation? And so for me, it was, oh, I actually feel good about doing this for you. Mm -hmm. But you have to be very careful between that fine line of you're doing it because you feel good versus it's a message you've been told since childhood that as a woman being Indian, as a exactly. Greek Orthodox woman, being taught that your validation comes from that. And that's why I feel good about mm -hmm. it. And so like this... Fine line. That's how I felt about loving cooking. I was like, damn it, why am I oh. so cliche? For goodness sake, like, oh yeah, Indian women just love spending time in the kitchen. And it would be so funny because uh, when people come to our house, she would be like, this is Radhi's office and it would be the, the kitchen. kitchen. And if they didn't really have context, he would have to explain and be like, no, 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 what I'm trying <laughs> you know chauvinist <laughs> yeah exactly um, but I had to differentiate that too I was like am I cooking and doing all these things because it makes me feel like more of a woman mm. or am I doing it because I just love it and I did differentiate that and I do just love it so much and I love feeding people and I do think what you're saying about you know you wanted to do that part serving is such an important part of love like being in service to someone like I've noticed that so much which is why I also love doing so much for my family because without and genuinely without the desire for reciprocation I can say that like a hundred percent because I really I feel that I am pouring so much into myself by serving them. That brings me so much more joy. And that's why I'm like, I love buying presents for people. I love like creating experiences for people. I love doing acts of service for people. It is part of my love language. And it fuels me just as much as it gives to them. So if you stop giving, I think that's a big barrier to happiness, joy, and like creating actual like love for yourself and other people in your life. Because I think, acts of service and being able to serve other people is part of our human nature to want to do that mm. um and so for me that I've, I've noticed that and now I give without any thought of is it too much am I doing a bit I'm like no I want to I want to do it so I want to create this and I want to do it for people and it's brought me so much more joy in my life by thinking of it in that way yeah. um and not double thinking what I'm doing 
But so many people have got into the habit for like 20, 30 years. Like I was in it for eight years. Tom would wake up. His clothes were next to him. He would get out of the shower. Oh the, my his clothes God. were next to him. He would leave for work. I would give him a lunch. But like everything that he had to do outside, like I just took care of. And so was that what did he want that or did you no, want that for him? It was at the time because we were trying to like make yeah. movies. And so we had decided I would stay at home and support you, babe. Yeah. You're going to go out and be an entrepreneur and it's just going to be for 12 months. Yeah. Of course, that 12 months turned into eight years. Right. So it became, a, I had a purpose. The purpose was just going to be for 12 months. But then you get into this p- perpetual motion. Absolutely. And then... It becomes your identity. Yes. So yeah. it becomes your identity. That's where you get the validation from. And now you don't know how to get out. Mm. And so that... And I, what would that mean if you get out? Like, who would I even be without that identity? Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. And I had to process, like, this doesn't make me a bad person. Mm-mm. But I had to swing hard the other way to then find myself. Did you, did you go, like... Yeah, like, I'm not taking care of any, like, if you've got dirty underwear, turn your underwear inside out. I mean, there was even a one, and look, because he realised how unhappy I was. Yes, exactly. There was in that support where he's like, babe, what, you really asking me, like, what's more important? Of course, my wife's happiness is more important than clean underwear. So if I have to go commando to work one day, then I will. And then it actually happened. He didn't have clean underwear. So (laughs) because he was so supportive, though, as he was leaving for work, he's like, I don't have any underwear, so I'm going commando. Bye, babe. You know, and he felt pride in being a part of helping me. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to swing hard the other way Mm -hmm. to then find... Like, I had to let go of everything to then go, oh, okay, I actually do enjoy doing this. I actually mm-hmm. do enjoy doing this. But it took me having to move away to then realize. Yeah. But there are so many people that get stuck in that for 20 years, especially if you've had kids. Yeah. It's like your identity and then what, how you show up every day. And because you've been in service for so long, mm-hmm. you sometimes don't know how to get out of it. I had a, another situation that reminded me of, obviously, with my book um, coming out. I have always been Radhi Devlukia. And people call me Radhi Shetty or they'll call me Radhi Devluka Shetty or whatever. And I've never really been that bothered by it, but I chose to stay Radhi Devluka when we got married. Um, but naturally, whenever I would go on like TV shows or whatever, they would call me whatever they wanted that that made sense to them versus it actually being who I was. And it was so interesting because for my book, I had actually signed my contract as Radhi Devluka, but in the contract, they had said writing the book as Radhi Devluka Shetty. And I hadn't seen that. And so, over the past couple of months, I've been in a constant kind of, I don't want to say battle, but a battle of being like, I want to be Radhi Devluka. It's what I signed up. It's it's who I am. It is my identity. And I don't, the, the reason that, you know, naturally people know me as Radhi Shetty or Radhi Devluka Shetty because of who Jay is. And I completely understand that. And I'm like, I'm happy to be Jay's wife. Being told, said that I am Jay's wife, that's the truth. But for me, Radhi Devluka is truth. And so I've had this anyway, I, I couldn't I couldn't change it. But I realized that in that moment, I was thinking, it's so interesting that a man would probably never be in that situation where they're told, you know what, take your wife's name because it's going to be better for you to do that. And that for me was a difficult thing in the first place to be like, let me just do this because of X, Y, and Z. But I was contractually bound, so I had to carry on with it anyway. But it was so interesting to me because in that moment, and I actually spent like a couple of days crying about it because I was like, it felt so, it was, it felt so disrespectful to like, as a woman to be in that situation, to be like, no man would ever have to even think about this. And then it also makes you feel bad as a woman to be like, oh, am I like really weird for not 
you know, I had made that decision a long time ago. But in this moment, again, I had this reflection moment of, God, am I just being really silly? It's just a name. Like, why should I be fighting so hard to just keep my own name? And, you know, it's not that bad. It's, you know, as a woman, I should take his name. And I was like, what the hell? No man would be told to do that. No man would be told that they have to take their wife's name, even if they were, you know, more whatever than than they were and it just it was just you just reminded me of it because of identity I was like yeah like we really do as women take on a lot more of the burden of identity and taking on your partner's identity more than men probably do in that respect because of how we're trained yeah um so that really irritated me well talk to actually don't (laughs) mind like because this is super important because when we go back to like the expectations that are put on us that don't allow us to really shine to be the people we really want to be like that's the thing like this is really the through line that when I was talking to you I was like girl we gotta keep going deep on like how you get through these because these these are the moments that get people stuck whereas there's one little expectation this one little thing that it just becomes another notch, another notch, right? Yeah, and like the little... It does. That, that then ends up like... Chips away. Chips away, you go. How have you um, actually worked on that identity piece? Because you are proud to be his wife. Yeah. So what is it about the resistance? It was. It's more about that for me, especially coming from my culture, it represented more of equality in a partnership than it did anything else. Because... I wasn't expecting him to take my name and he wasn't expecting me to take his name. It's, it's not traditional then for the, you to take your it partner's is. name? Oh. oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's not tradition to even double barrel. Like me being right. is and all, it would be full on take on that whole family. That family is now your family. Your family comes second. Right. Like in my in my culture, it's it's you call their mum, mum. They are your mum before you, your original. What? It's, it's actually oh like God. to that degree that it's expected. Once you marry into a family and my in-laws are not that traditional but like generally in our culture once you marry into a family your duties are fully to that family before your own family if there is like a family event you go to their family event you prioritize them over your own original family and for me look I grew up in a, a family of seven girls we have no boys as grandchildren in the family and we're all quite strong minded women and there was just a big part of me that felt strongly about about when I'm coming together with someone that doesn't mean I have to lose my identity and I don't expect him to lose his identity but why should it not be an equal an equal partnership of if you're keeping your name then why like why should it even be a a topic of conversation or that the woman should be expected to do that and so for me it was more of a principle thing it was more of like when I grow up and if I'm talking to someone about it or my children about it like how do I want to how would how would I feel in 20 years time having having compromised on something that I felt really strongly about um and it honestly hasn't been a topic of conversation even between me and Jay because he really doesn't care it's been more of a topic of conversation with everybody else and so um yeah, for me, it was really clear from the beginning that that's what I wanted to do. The only reason I would have even thought about double barring is because of society, not because I felt like it was something I wanted to do. Um, and how do you d- deal with people maybe in society that have the back, that push back now? I just, the, 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 I feel like there's just so many things in my culture that need to be set straight from like our generation onwards. There is just so much inequality in, in the dynamic of women and men, especially in my culture, that I just think that that's one step. For me, that feels like one step towards creating that and having a woman feel like it's okay and you can still be 
you're still just as good of a daughter-in-law. You're still just as good as a whatever. But that does not mean you have to give up your entire life that you had with your own family to like to be part of another one. And so, yeah, for me, it really wasn't in question. I didn't even care what people called me. Like if people were calling me Shetty or Devluka Shetty, I was like, yeah, whatever. But it kind of, um, it, I noticed it when I saw my name on the book and I was like, oh, yeah, this doesn't feel right because that's not how I've identified myself ever. So have you worked through that emotion then? Because this is, again, the thing that can either um, make you resistant next from the time. Book? Yeah. yeah, just like in general. Well, it was the... I mean, honestly, it did take me like, I cr- think I cried, like, oh, I've got this picture of me on the phone to my sister that that I took that was literally like me <laughs> and her laughing because she also has those feelings about names as well. Like her children are double barreled as well to both of their names. And it was just, it was more, I just... How did I even go through it? I cried about it a lot. I got, I like really released all the emotions. I cried about it with my, with my work. And again, you know, whenever I talk about this, I'm like, I feel like people will be like, it's just a name, like relax. You don't need to cry about it, but it's not for me. It was so much more than that. Like that's what it meant to me. So yeah, I cried about it. And then I worked through it in my mind of, you know what? If if this is what it is, and it's a it is a business thing, right? At the end of the day, it was basically business. That's what it boiled down to. And I also understood it from their point of view. Like I do understand it. People search me as that. People see me as that. And so naturally, for them, it was a mixture of, hey, people are going to look for you, and they're going to look for you in that way. It's doing a disservice to the book by them not being able to even find it or search for it in the way that they would. And so I understood it from that perspective too. So then it was reasoning and coming to terms with that. Maybe I'm not always right in this situation. There's a lot more to think about than just this value that I'm holding so close to me and how much I've poured into the book and how much I had have given to it that if that means less people will reach it or find it. And so... You know, I, I I think from now, once I have my own space and have my own place in, you know, the cookbook world, maybe in my next book, I'll be able to change it back and have that, have, you know, have that identity back. But for now, I'm seeing it as a a small loss for a greater win. Mm. And I work, I cried through it. I worked through it. I processed it in my mind to not feel like I'm compromising because that's also about like, I don't want to feel like I'm feeling guilty for something that I'm like, oh, I compromised my value for something like that. But it, sometimes you just have to not take things so deeply. And that's what I realized. I'm like, I could be, still be thinking about it over and over again every single day, or I can make the best of an amazing situation and be like, okay, cool. I, I lost some, I'm winning some. Yeah. And that's just how life goes. 